Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go to Congo, um, which for those of you that might not know if you're an American, that's in Africa. And um, had a really good experience there. Um, I was in a, a part of the Congo, which is up here, it's Kisangani, it's in the northeastern section of the country. This is the capital, Kinshasa. But what's really important about the country is a city that's right around here someplace. That's Lubumbashi, and that's where my son and his wife and our granddaughters live. That's not why I went. Well, that's not really why I went. <laughs> I went to visit a project that I work with in Kisangani. It's called Congo Frontline Missions. And some of you might have heard a little bit about their experience earlier this year. They lost their property. Uh, they had purchased this property several years ago, thought everything was legal and organized, built the campus. This used to be just bush, jungle. Um, now you can see what the campus looks like. <clears throat> and then about last June or something like that, or maybe before that, uh, we got a message that we had lost a law case, a civil case, and the police came onto the property and chased everybody off, and the property was taken back, quote, to the rightful owner, close quote. Um, fortunately, we were able to get the property back again with a little negotiation and some greenbacks. But um, we repurchased the property. But it's wonderful to be there and visit the ministry. Over the past number of years, they have baptized, I think in seven years, they've baptized around 6,000 people. This is a very you know, remote area. There's not a lot of church, Seventh-day Adventist church, activity there. Very few pastors, very poor uh, infrastructure in the church. But in addition to the baptisms, they started a number of new churches, one-day church structures, um, opened up a lot of areas, started some training programs. So it was a real privilege to be with them. I was very hot, by the way, when actually somebody sent me an email and said, how are you enjoying the snow? Because I guess you had snow here or something like it. Um, a while back, and I said, well, Chattanooga's probably enjoying it, but I'm in Kisangani, and it's really hot. I could use some snow. But it was a great trip, um, a real blessing, and of course, happy to be home. But if you take your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, and around Christmas time, probably like in mid-December, you started looking at different aspects of the incarnation. Those of you that come regularly remember some of these topics the incarnation, the fact that God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, the birth in Bethlehem is an inexhaustible theme. In other words, we can keep mining this, thinking about it, coming back to it over and over and over again, and we're going to constantly get new vistas of God's love for us. And so over the past several weeks, we looked at the risk that was involved in the incarnation, that really... It's mind-boggling, but all heaven was at risk in the incarnation, that God risked everything in giving us his son. The incarnation reveals to us who God is. There's a lot of confusion in this world about the character of God and who God is and what God is like. Um, the incarnation reveals very clearly what God is like. If you have any questions about who God is, look at the life of Jesus Christ. We looked at the reality that he really became a man, um, and a few weeks back, three or four weeks back, we looked at the reunion that he is waiting to have with us. 
that there was a reunion when Christ ascended to heaven between the Father and the Son, but that reunion only was a foreshadow of his reunion with you and with me, which is what he's really looking forward to. This morning, I'd like to continue this thought maybe one more time and think of the regeneration, a little bit more of how the incarnation needs to impact your life and mine. And that's really what it's all about. And um, so let's turn to Romans chapter 8. And I want to say here that um, as I've been reading through this this week, there are certain points of this sermon that really echoed in my life, and there are other points that there was great dissonance with. Uh, There are points in the sermon where I say, yeah, you know, that's really true in my experience. And there were other points where it's like, yeah, that's not so true in my experience. And I'll explain that as we go through. Romans 8, starting in verse 1. Therefore, there is now what? Hmm. There's what? No condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, or the source, the location, the place in which there is no condemnation is where? In, in Christ Jesus. And there's the key thing. We need to be in Christ. And the King James says, those who walk after, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, notice again the location, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That should be an amen point. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, so that the righteousness, of the King James, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Very powerful passage. And the first word in verse 8, at least in the translation I'm reading from, the New American Standard, is therefore which, of course, raises the question. Therefore, therefore is a conclusion. What is he talking about? And if we think of the entire context of this whole section, starting back in chapter 5, and in Sabbath school we talked a little bit about chapter 5, but chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 of Roman are really talking about two epics of human history. And these two dimensions of human history can be best represented by two individuals who impacted the human race. That is, in Romans 5, Adam and Jesus Christ. And the big picture here really is the choice that each one of us have, that with choice each one of us get the opportunity of making, the choice each one of us has is which one of those epics in human history are we going to relate to? The one from Adam? or the one from Jesus Christ. From Adam, we get all sorts of things. We get sin, we get condemnation, we get death. From Jesus Christ, we get something very different. We get justification, we get freedom, we get release from sin. And so the choice before us is, which one will we identify in our life? Now that therefore, that starts the Romans 8 verse 1, most directly refers back to chapter 7. So let's just slide back there to chapter 7. And this was the part of my study this week 
that really related to me in Romans chapter 7. But before we go there, let me just share this thought. And this is really what I want to, I want you to drive home with in your head or as we're sitting around the fellowship dinner table to be thinking about in order to become who we want to be in Christ, we need to understand who we are in Christ. So let me say that again, and let's think about that. In order to become who we want to be in Christ, what kind of person, what kind of Christian do you want to be? Kind, loving, cheerful, transparent, honest? What kind of person do we want to become in Jesus Christ. In order to get there, we need to understand something else first, and that is who we are in Christ. Because what we become is based on who we are. What does Paul, what am I trying to say here, and what does Paul mean? Well, let's look back a little bit here in Romans chapter 7, um, and this is the part of our, the preparation for this week's sermon that really resonated with my individual life. So, you know, um, each one of us, well, I'm assuming. Anybody on social media? Yeah, okay. So, like, pretty much everybody here, I'm assuming, has some kind of connection with social media. And sometimes, you know, you can put your own picture on Facebook or your Twitter account or whatever it is. And you can sometimes have an avatar, which isn't really you, like um, uh, my... If any of you are interested, my Facebook account has a lion, a picture of a lion that we took while we were in Africa. Um, and so, you know, that doesn't really represent me. I'm not lion-like in any sense of the word. But that's kind of my symbol out there. And so in our social world, we're able to create a persona that may be very different than who we really are. You know what I'm talking about? You know, and sometimes we do that in church. We have a persona. We have an aura about ourselves. Well, this is who we are here. But it's very different than who we are here. And sometimes we project that persona, or sometimes we don't even project it. People just assume it. And they think, you know, I, I think um, I missed Ben's sermon several weeks ago, but I've heard a lot good about it. But, you know, I believe he said, you know, sometimes we even come to church and we think that somebody else has it all together, not realizing what's going on inside. And so Romans 7 is a very clear x-ray of what's going on inside. So let's turn here, Romans chapter 7, um, starting, well, let's start in verse 8. Paul's talking about his relation with the law, and he recognizes that the law brings forth all sorts of things. Verse 8, but sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Well, what does he mean there? Simply he's saying this, you know, when I didn't realize the breadth of the law, when I didn't realize how far reaching the law was, everything was fine. It was okay. But when the strength of the law came to me and I saw how penetrating the law is, then I realized I'm coveting all over the place. I was alive, okay, once without the law, as a distance, I mean, he knew the law, but he didn't understand the far-reaching dimensions of the law 
as Jesus gives on the Sermon on the Mount, for example. It's not just physical um, adultery that's condemned, but it's even looking or lusting after somebody. Much deeper level. And so this is what Paul's saying. When I realized how all-encompassing the law was, I died. I realized I was condemned. Um, And then he says again in verse 11, you know, this is sin that's working through me. Verse 12, so then the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. And then he goes on starting in verse 14, and he begins to talk about this battle that takes place. And he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. And if I do the very thing I, excuse me, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know, verse 18, that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. So Paul's talking about this battle, this struggle, this sense of, I know what the right thing is, and I want to do the right thing, and yet I find myself not doing the right thing. That's the part of the sermon that I really resonate with. Anybody else? You know what I'm talking about where it's this, hey, you know, okay, so there's certain levels of things where our lives are transformed. Uh, Okay, so praise the Lord, I don't do other certain things that in the past I might have. But there's a whole deeper level of struggle that takes place in the heart. Where it's like, yeah, I know this is the right thing. I really should love that person, but I don't. Or I really ought to be be doing this, but I don't. And Paul talks about this struggle where it's like, I want to do this, but I end up not. And he he gets to the point toward the end of the chapter where he cries out, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? That's part of an experience. Even, I would argue, even after our conversion, there are points in our life where we go through this. Would you agree with that or not? And this is a reality. And if we look around and we think, well, you know, you know, couldn't be the pastor or an evangelist or the head elder, they don't have those issues. That is nonsense. Paul's describing a human experience where we wrestle and I appreciated your testimony about, you know, your faithfulness, paying tithe, and things are going south and going south and going down and down, and whew, praise the Lord, the Lord came in at the end. You know, sometimes he doesn't even come in at that point. But he is still good, right? So here we have this common struggle, this battle back and forth. And we, at times, just get discouraged with it. But Romans 8, in verse 1, therefore, Right? There is what? Now, before the word no, there's a, there's now. Amen. When? One more time. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You and I need to savor the truth of that. 
in order to become more like Jesus, in order, as, as the, the preacher said last Sabbath, to be fit for eternity, in order to be more ready for the second coming, we need to understand there is therefore now no condemnation if we were in Christ Jesus. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. The truth of the matter is you and I don't live that way. We think, what? That there is condemnation. Why? Well, we have an adverse. Well, there's lots of reasons why we think there's condemnation. Um, anybody make a mistake this week? Yes? Anybody, like, not just make a mistake, anybody sin this week? No. Just hang with me. I'm not making light of sin. Wait till we get to the end of the sermon, okay? But when that happens, when we fall and we do something wrong or we make a mistake or we snap at somebody, what's right there? Condemnation. Because the devil's right there to say, yeah, that text may mean something to somebody else, but it's not yours. Now, I seem to remember something in the Bible about the devil being a, what was that word? An accuser and what else? A liar. Well, if he's a liar, why should you give him the time of day? Why should you listen to him? There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And the whole question is, are you in Christ or not? Have you chosen to surrender to him? If you have chosen, if you've yielded, if you've responded to the work of the Holy Spirit, you're in Christ Jesus, and there is therefore now no condemnation. And when the adversary comes knocking and he comes telling you, look, you're this, you're this, you're this, you're this, it's true. I'm all those things and much more, but there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is a vital truth. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Someone read that for us quickly. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And someone else get Colossians 3 in verse 3. Again, notice the transition. If you are in Christ, if you're living under the epic of Christ, not the world of Adam, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation, and the old is gone, all things have become new. Colossians 3, verse 3. Amen. So we are dead, but we're alive in Christ. Listen carefully. There never will be a time in your experience, no matter how long you're a Christian, no matter how faithfully you're working, walking with Christ, there will never be a time in your experience when you look to yourself and you won't find condemnation. The point is we need to not be looking to self, but looking to Christ. It is only in Christ where there is no condemnation. Now, you know, I could be a Christian for years and years, and my life can transform more and more like Jesus, and it needs to, and it will through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and I could be, you know, ready to walk into those pearly gates before translation, and in myself, if I look here, there's always going to be something to find for condemnation. I continually need to be looking to Christ, because in him is no condemnation. And if I am in him, that is where I find my strength. Um, and it's true. Satan comes to us, he, and he makes us think that God's angry at us at times. 
Um, he makes us feel like there's no hope for us, for ourselves. But as I said earlier, he is a liar and the father of lies. Romans 8, verse 2. So let's continue a little bit. Um, before we do that, let me um, read something to you. Uh, a little bit of background. So the word condemnation, katakrima here, means both the, a judgment and an execution. Sentence of judgment and execution. of It's only used two other places in the whole New Testament, and that's in Romans 5, 16 and 18. And I'm just to ask you to write, jot that down. Um, but someone read Romans 5.18 for us. Romans 5.18. Again, I said earlier that Paul's bringing out this two epochs of human history, the one from Adam and the one from Christ. Romans 5.18. Someone get that and read it nice and loud, please. Okay, so through one man's transgression, what came to everybody? Judgment, condemnation. It's the same word here as in Romans chapter 8. But through one man's righteous act, or the righteousness of one man, what comes to everybody else? Justification. And so here we have these two choices, these two spheres of the human race, under Adam or under Christ. Which one will we choose? From Adam, we get nothing but sin and death and destruction. From Christ, we get justification, righteousness, and freedom. And that's what verse 2 tells us. Romans chapter 8 in verse who um, tells us, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Notice again the location. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. I have a quotation here. Um, it's from an old book. It's called Catholic Belief, and, and it's old, but I used it because it illustrates the point that I want to make very clearly. In, in Catholic theology, before you can be declared having no condemnation, before you can be justified, there's a work that you need to do first. And so that's what this book says. Um, in the case of grown-up persons, that would be you, um, some dispositions, some actions are required on the part of the sinner in order to be fit to obtain this abiding grace of justification. Now, what is that book saying? It, again, it's theological language. What's he saying? In Catholic theology, for an adult, there's got to be something you do before you can receive the grace of justification. The danger is that many of us think the same thing. We think that somehow we need to reach a certain level of okayness before we can have no condemnation. But the truth is, the freedom from condemnation is found where? In Christ Jesus. Notice this completely different quotation. It's from a little book called Steps to Christ. It says, Jesus loves to have us come to him just as we are. And then there's three descriptions. What are they? Sinful, helpless, and dependent. Jesus loves to have us come to him just as we are, sinful, helpless, dependent. When you get it in your head that you have to somehow not be sinful 
or not be helpful, helpless before you can come, you've lost the whole thing. We may come with all our weakness, our folly, our sinfulness, and fall at his feet in penitence. There's the repentance aspect of it. Quotation goes on, It is his glory to encircle us in the arms of his love and to bind up our wounds and to cleanse us from all impurity. It's his glory to change us. But he changes us after what? After we come to him, sinful, weak, and dependent, just as we are, just as I am. And as I said earlier in preparing for the sermon, there was a struggle back and forth during this week. Well, chapter 7 of Romans was really easy to relate to. Why do I do this? Why do I do that? How come I react this way? And Romans 8.1 was harder to grasp. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I suspect that's not just my experience, but most of us. That the battle we have is the battle of faith of believing what God really says. It is his glory to encircle us, sinful, helpless, weak, dependent, and to begin to cleanse us from all impurity. Let's continue. Let's go back to um, our main thought here. In order to become what we want to be in Christ, we need to understand who we are in Christ. Who are we in Jesus Christ? Well, we're new creatures. We're seated in heavenly places. We're sons and daughters of God. We're free from condemnation. We're living his life. That's the truth that God wants us to grasp by faith. And when we grasp that by faith, all sorts of changes take place in our life. Real, deep, lasting changes. Not superficial ones. Not changes that are brought about simply by peer pressure or the desire to, to look good to somebody else. But deep changes in our experience. I said earlier about the, you know, our social media and our avatars, and sometimes we try to pretend we're one way and we're really very, very different. There's no need to pretend before God. No need at all. And I hate to tell you this, or actually I'm happy to tell you this, there's no need to pretend among us either. Because we're all in the same thing. We're all needing the forgiveness, the justification, the freedom from condemnation, that comes through Jesus Christ. Let's go back to our text. Um, Then we need not feel that we're on probation. Verse 2, I already mentioned that you can jot down some of these verses as well, that we have been set free in Christ Jesus. Let's just um, look at John 8, 32 and 36. Someone else read that for us. John 8, 32 and 36, or if you have it memorized, Feel free just to repeat it from memory. John 8, 32 and 36. So you're going to know the truth, and the truth is going to make you free. So when the adversary comes and he tells you a half-truth, you know, you're this, 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 and this, well, that's partially true, but he also tries to bring condemnation with that. The truth is, yes, I am this, this, and this, and much more, but in Christ Jesus, 
I can be free from condemnation. <sighs> it would be nice if it was just so easy to believe. Maybe it's easier for you because you don't have the issues that I have. You have your own issues, right? Right. So, but we are set free in Jesus Christ. Well, let's go on here. Verse 3, and this is really where I want to go. Again, it's important for us to realize that none of us are so sinful, none of us are so corrupt that we cannot find strength in Jesus Christ. None of us. Um, you know, what Christ is really waiting to do, he's waiting to take off our garments of self-righteousness, you know, the, the image that we project, and then he wants to clothe us with his own character, his own righteousness. So, verse 3. Let's look at verse 3. For what the law could not do. Well, what could the law not do? What could the law not do? Well, the law can't save us. The law can't change us. The law can't forgive us. Right? The law can't change us. The law can't save us. The law can't forgive us. There's probably other things the law can't do. What the law can't do, the text tells us that somebody did. Who? God did. What the law could not do, and Paul tells us, why the law couldn't do it, and the reason is not the weakness with the law, but the weakness is what? My humanity. My fallen nature. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, my flesh, your flesh, our humanity, our weakness, what the law could not do, God did. What can't the law do? Well, can't forgive you, can't cleanse you, can't change you, can't motivate you, can't do any of those things, but God did. And how did God do it? By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. It's another amazing thought for us to realize. That in the realm in which sin reigns, chapter 7, Paul talks about this principle that's living within him. In, in the realm, this fallen nature that you and I struggle with, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. What's Paul mean? In his humanity, in Christ's humanity, Christ was continually victorious over sin. Now this expression, the likeness of sinful flesh, has generated a lot of questions. You know, what does Paul really mean by it? Um, I'd like to uh, bring our thoughts back to, well, this is a, excuse me, this is a Bible scholar, New Testament scholar called James G. Dunn, and he wrote a commentary in the book of Romans, and he emphasizes this. He's, his understanding of the passage is that this is, shows us Jesus' complete identification with sinful flesh, with our fallen nature. Uh, now, it's interesting, Paul uses the word likeness in other places. Philippians 2, verse 7, for example, where he talks about the incarnation, and he says that Christ came in the likeness of man. He really became a man. He really entered into our human sphere. And that's what Paul is saying here in Romans 8, 3 as well, that Christ was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came to be one of us. He never sinned. We need to be very clear on that. But he condemned sin in the flesh. How? Well, we talked about that in Sabbath school this morning. Maybe your class did too. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, right? Turn these stones into bread. What does Jesus say? It's written. 
turns back to the word of God, never relying on any divine power, but living life as a man, showing us his dependence on the Father. And in Christ's life, continually depending on the Father, he is condemning sin in the flesh all the time. But there's more. Before we get there, let me uh, draw your attention to an early Adventist teacher, scholar, evangelist, church administrator, W.W. Prescott. He gave a series of sermons in, in uh, Australia back in the 1890s, a very well-known series of sermons. Uh, you can get them online and read them if you're interested. But he wrestles with this, and he says this. It is the crowning glory of our religion that even flesh of sin, that's his term for sinful flesh, may become a temple for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he's based in this on Romans 8.3. That's really what his sermon is focused on at this point in the sermon. It's the crowning glory of our religion that even the humanity that you and I have can become a temple for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So, who are we in Christ? Well, we're children of God. We're new creatures. We're seated in heavenly places, or we're dead, and our, our life is hid with Christ in God. We are in Christ as we surrender to him and have no condemnation. From that position of no condemnation, God wants to take us someplace else. He wants to transform us. Most of us have a difficulty because we want the transformation to happen before we believe there's no condemnation. But the, con the transformation is only going to happen as we rest in the fact that there is no condemnation. Well, what kind of change does God want to bring? Let's go to verse 4. Romans 8, verse 4. This is God's object in the incarnation, and that is our regeneration, our transformation. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. Let's read them together again. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. How? sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, so that, in order that, what? The righteousness of the law might be what? Excuse me. Might be fulfilled where? In us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 8 starts with this thought of no condemnation, and it moves in verse 4 to this total transformation. That the purpose of the incarnation, the reason God did this, at least from this passage in verse 4, and there's many other reasons, we've talked about them already, but in this passage, in order that the righteousness of the law could be fulfilled where? In us. It's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ as he battled with sin, as he said no to temptation, as he revealed the Father day after day after day, every day, every moment of his life, continually, ongoing, showing what the Father is like, it was fulfilled in him. Now he wants it to be fulfilled where? In you and in me. Is it possible? Well, it's more than possible. It's part of the gospel. It's more than just a possibility it's what God is going to do as you yield yourself to him. It's a guarantee. 
It's no question. This is what God will do, is doing. He's already done the one thing. He's already condemned sin in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. He's already made that very clear. Now, once again, he wants to condemn sin in your flesh, that the righteousness of the law will be fulfilled in you that don't follow the flesh, but follow the spirit. That don't make a choice to live under the reign of Adam, but do make a choice to live under the control of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And that is the choice that's facing each one of us. It's God's purpose in the incarnation to so totally regenerate us and renew us that the actual righteousness of the law will be fulfilled in us. You might be thinking, I don't think that's going to happen. So I'm going to turn to Revelation chapter 19. Uh, Revelation 19, I believe it's verse 8. Revelation 19 in verse 8. Someone else read that? Revelation 19.8, a group of people living just before the second coming of Christ, the bride of God's people, Revelation 19.8. Okay, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints or the righteousness of the saints. Not that they're depending on their own righteousness. That's not the point. But it's Christ's righteousness that has transformed their lives. Question is, you want to be one of those people? To be more like Jesus? Well, in order to become what we want to be, we need to know who we are in Christ. And today, if you've chosen Jesus Christ, there is, therefore, now no condemnation. And as you continue to learn to walk with him and stumble and keep walking and move forward and make choices, no, I'm not going to live to the flesh. Yes, I am going to live to the Spirit. He promises to fulfill the righteousness of the law in you. Not as a foundation for merit by any means. We're already not condemned. We're already innocent in his sight, in Christ. But as a demonstration of what he can do. God, realizing the law was weak through our fallen nature, did something. What did he do? He sent Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh, in order that, so that, this is the reason the righteousness of the law can be fulfilled in you. This is a quotation from a um, booklet of writings describing the church experience called Volume 5 of the Testimonies of the Church. And it says this, the forgiveness of sins is not the sole result of the death of Jesus. Interesting. Forgiveness is good, Amen. But there's more. He made the infinite sacrifice, not only that sin might be removed, but that human nature might be restored, rebeautified, reconstructed from its ruins, regenerated, in my words, and made fit for the presence of God. Forgiven, amen. Free from condemnation, amen. Now, amen. But being changed as well little book called Mount of Blessings, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 76. God has made provision that we may become like unto him. And he will accomplish this. He will accomplish this. He will accomplish this. For all who do not interpose a perverse will and thus frustrate his grace. 
Everybody that says yes to God will have this experience. Everyone that says no will miss out. What will you say to God today? Yes to him. There's now no condemnation, and there's going to be an entire regeneration and transformation where we become like him. Do you want God to do that for you? Amen. That's what I long for. And as I was praying this week and studying this week, the struggle part I really related to. The transformation part I long to experience more deeply. It's going to happen if what? If you don't interper interpose a perverse will. If you don't say no to God, he will do it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the beautiful promises in your word. May our weak, trembling faith grasp those promises, not looking to self, but looking to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that there is now no condemnation, and thank you for the transforming power of the reality of Christ coming in the incarnation. Fulfill your promises to us, Father. Teach us to yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.